because we know that if a community is going to thrive, uh, quality of life has to be high in those communities, and that impacts all aspects of the economy and education and social emotional health and all different kinds of things. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our listeners near and far to another episode of the Small Minded Podcast. And here at Small Minded, we celebrate everything small towns, small businesses, small communities, and the people who love them and help them thrive. And in today's episode, I welcome my good friend, Jason Nysis of the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque here in Iowa. And he is also a coach for the Community Heart and Soul Program. And as you'll hear in our very long-winded interview, uh, we joke around. We've worked together for nearly three years now on the betterment of my hometown of Cascade through the Community Heart and Soul process. And in this process, it's designed to help small towns really get deep with the people who live in them and capitalize on the things that are already great about their community in order to make it better. And Jason, as our coach, has been just so generous with his time. He's been such a great guide to our committee and our community as a whole in how we can look at our town through a new lens and really see all the great things that are happening here. And he is just patient and he has a heart for service. And you'll hear in today's interview that he is multi-passionate, but it all comes back to really working with small town people and helping them see their communities thrive for the future generations. So you may need to break this down into a couple sittings because it is a little lengthy, but I know that you're going to love it just as much as I do. I always have fun talking with Jason. He always has great thoughtful answers and responses, and today's episode is no different. So without further ado, here is today's episode of the Small Minded Podcast with my friend, Jason Nysis. All right. Well, I am so excited to welcome my friend Jason Nysis of the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque and Community Heart and Soul to the Small Minded Podcast. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, Molly. It's great to be here. Oh, Jason and I have worked together for, gosh, I don't even know, two or three years now. And we recently kind of wrapped up the project that had been years long. But now I just feel like it's been so long since I've seen you. It's really only been a month or two, but it's been a long time in comparison to how often we had been seeing each other over the duration of that project. Yeah. When you're working on a project where that's kind of intense, when you let your foot off the gas, it just seems weird. Even if you're still going 50 miles an hour, it's not 85 miles an hour like it was for a while there. <laughs> that is very true. All right. So Let's dig right in. Jason, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what organizations you're a part of, and a little sneak preview of what they do, and then we'll get into the details throughout today's interview. Sure. So again, Jason Nysis, I work at the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque, and we cover a seven-county region in eastern Iowa, all the way from the Minnesota border uh, with Alamakee County uh, down along the river to Clinton County. 
And our primary goal is to improve or increase the impact of philanthropy in our rural regions. So we have volunteer boards throughout that region at each county that works on doing community needs assessments and really building capacity for nonprofits and things like that at the local level to do good work and make sure that donors get connected to causes that they care about. And one of the big things that I focus on with my work through Community Heart and Soul, which I think we'll probably get to a little bit later, is making sure that folks know what's going to make the biggest impact in their community. I uh, work with community groups to do needs assessments and to really try to make sure that they understand what the community needs and that they're the values of the community get expressed in the projects that they choose. Uh, The Community Foundation does a variety of other work, too, where we have different kinds of initiatives focused on poverty and education and food insecurity and brain health issues, all different kinds of things that affect quality of life, because we know that if a community is going to thrive, uh, quality of life has to be high in those communities, and that impacts all aspects of the economy and education and social emotional health and all different kinds of things. So uh, I really enjoy what I do because I get to touch upon all those things. So mm-hmm. every day is a little bit different. I get to talk uh, with folks about a wide variety of different things. I have personal interests in things like historic preservation and issues like that that also play into quality of life. So, you know, I think the best part of what I do is every day I get to work with people who love their small towns and want to make them even better. So I'm always talking to really excited, enthusiastic people who just, they know that their small town can be better and they really want to work hard to make it a better place, but they sometimes just don't know how. So that's what I am here to guide them through. Gosh, I love that you brought up all that. And especially when you said that you get to work with people in small towns who just want to see their small towns be better. And I think in that short sentence, it does really encapsulate everything that you do because you are so multifaceted and you work in so many of these great areas. But I think that kind of summarizes who you are and what you do. So I think you did a great job with that. I am glad you brought that up for another reason, too, because I think our paths originally crossed not with heart and soul, but I think you came to Cascade talking about a rural daycare need. We did. And I think that's where we first crossed paths. And then you're like, as a afterthought at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, and then we might be starting up this heart and soul thing. So you guys can come to this meeting. And that's when my ears really perked up. But yeah, I think we first crossed paths about rural daycare needs. And then we went into heart and soul. So which Mm -hmm. you and I both know, like you said, everything impacts quality of life, especially in a small town, because things are so interrelated. But yeah, when you were doing that rural daycare needs, this wasn't on your prep sheet. But when you're doing that needs assessment for the rural daycares, was there anything that you found out that might be interesting or intriguing to our listeners today? Well, I think daycare or childcare in rural communities, I think is a, is a, it's, a, it's a good representation of how all kinds of community development has to work in a small town. Because when you think about a small town and especially something like childcare, there's less margin for error in a small town right? That you, we can't absorb mistakes or errors in judgment or things like that in a small town like you can in a bigger place. And I think that's why more communication and cooperation is really important in small towns because childcare being an example, you can't just start and stop childcare based upon 
well, we don't have enough families, so let's stop it. And then when we have enough families, let's start it again. Like, that's just not how right. child care works. So how do you make sure that the system is resilient and that we have lots of different community partners and that it really is meeting a true community need and these sorts of things? And I think lots of things in small towns are like that. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't afford to just like, well, let's just give that a shot and see how it works. Well, things really have to be uh, well communicated and well coordinated and resources can't be wasted. We don't have the money and we don't have the people, uh, the human resources to to spin our wheels on things. Whereas larger communities can kind of, I think, absorb mistakes easier. They're a little mm-hmm. more resilient in some ways. So with the childcare thing, I think it's really important to make sure that uh, you develop systems that are, that can be resilient and sometimes center-based care, like you all did with uh, Little Angels in Cascade, is really important because it's it's stable and it has high quality and it's safe and these sorts of things. But some small towns, it also takes a lot of capital, as you know, mm-hmm. to build a center like that. In some small towns, maybe home-based care is better because it is able to be, kind of expand and contract based on how many families you have in your community. It's easier to start and stop that kind of service. So really doing a lot of research and really going into it eyes wide open is good for any kind of small town project. And child care is a good example, I think. Yeah. And I'm just going to touch on the details of that a little bit because listeners may not be familiar with some of the intricacies here in Cascade. But in my hometown, what happened was we noticed, and I was bringing up children, little kids at about the same time that all this was coming to a head. My kids are a little older now. But anyway, so in, I would say like the early 2010s, we had in-home care, like daycare providers. We had one center that was operated by the private school. And then as certain providers retired or pursued different career opportunities, we had a bigger need in the Cascade community to have more space at the center for more children, more families. So in the mid-2010s, we undertook a capital campaign to build a brand new privately funded daycare center for our community, which was successful. And we see the fruits of it right now. But just like you said, in some communities that can't be achieved. Maybe like you said, the in-home model works better. But yeah, sometimes it just takes having those conversations Mm -hmm. and thinking about all sides of the problem and the solution to come up with something like that. Well, and childcare is a good, it's a good, it's a good example too of how if we hope to attract and retain young families in small towns to keep them vibrant, it's it's a wide range of different things like childcare that if it doesn't exist in your community, people simply won't live there. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think when people think about community development, they often think about economic development as far as like we got to fill up our storefronts or we got to build manufacturing, we got to create jobs and things. But all the jobs in the world won't matter if folks don't want to live there. Mm-hmm. And they aren't going to live there if they don't have childcare, if they don't have like good outdoor recreation, if the town isn't clean, if you don't have good schools, if you don't have like good, strong, small local businesses, you know, things like, you know, boutiques and coffee shops and bakeries and microbreweries and little restaurants. People, people want that stuff where they're going to live. You need youth sports leagues. You need all that kind of stuff. If, you're going to have people live there. It can't just be about jobs. Mm-hmm. So, And I was reading an article last week, and it was talking about how, especially with the COVID of it all, 
people began moving out of these metro areas for more sparsely populated states. And like some of the states that saw the most influx were states like Wyoming, Mm. South Dakota. Um, What were some other ones? Some of the southeastern states. And the states that saw the most exodus were the ones that were the densely populated New Jersey's, New York's, places like that. So I do think that maybe it's a, I mean, obviously in 2021, it was a trend for people to be moving. But I do think, like we had said, people are seeking out these small towns for the values and the safety, but they still want those amenities and those conveniences Mm -hmm. of life that they could have in a suburb or in a bigger city. And, and I think what we're seeing now is not only is, is that they're finding that in some small towns they can have those amenities, and it's less important, and we've learned this during the pandemic, is that they can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So remote working, we think, and this, we, there's not a ton of research on this yet, but we're, it's getting there. Remote working could really be one of the one piece of the puzzle for rural revitalization is if you have that quality of life stuff, like you mentioned, safety and the good schools and childcare and a pool and all that kind of stuff. If we have all that stuff and people can work from anywhere, it's much more likely that they'll live in a small town. I think the one thing that some of our small towns have done, and Cascade is one of them, has really invested in uh, high-speed internet, mm-hmm. like fiber to home and business is more, and we, this is no surprise to anyone listening, more critical than ever. And it's not just for Netflix, like it's mm-hmm. for home education, it's for businesses. You know, there's globally connected businesses in, in very small towns in eastern Iowa that literally couldn't exist in those towns if they're local, like usually municipal utilities hadn't invested in blazing fast Internet. Yeah, I think that was something in our community and in a lot of the surrounding communities in this area. There was a lot of forward thinking when mm-hmm. they pursued this fiber Internet thing five years ago. But man, in 2020, did a lot of our local communities here in eastern Iowa benefit from that forward thinking. Yep. Okay, so I think this is a good time to transition into, Jason, like what is it that attracted you to this work about being in the small communities and talking to folks from these rural areas and what they love about their towns and what could be benefited? What is it that drew you to this line of work? And then, so that's phase one of the question. And then in part two, what do you love? What do you get from that work? Well, I'm from Iowa. Originally, I grew up on a little farm north of Dubuque. And um, so a lot of my childhood and things was spent in small towns with small town folks, you know, within a farming community. Um, so it's always been something that I that, you know, deep roots with my family with small rural communities. But, you know, I've lived all over the place. I've lived in larger cities in Chicago and Des Moines and places like that. But something about living in a rural area, uh, especially near family, kind of always appealed to me. So that's why our family moved back here about nine years ago after living not really abroad, like not in a foreign country, but it might as well be a foreign country when you compare it to some places in Iowa. <laughs> so that's always been kind of something I was interested in. Uh, One of the jobs I had when I moved back to Iowa was working with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach, which, of course, has a very broad mandate, but a lot of it is based in rural uh, Mm -hmm. communities with agriculture and youth development and things like that. So it just seemed like a natural fit for me to continue that work. I think it's something that's really overlooked a lot of times. There are lots of resources that um, can help communities 
But if you don't have the capacity to even accept the help, and I think that's where we're at a lot of times, some communities are so small or so under-resourced, they can't write grants. They can't uh, participate in some of the statewide programs that are supposed to help small businesses or they're supposed to help economic development. But the towns, are they got a part-time city clerk mm-hmm. and that's it. They don't have a city manager. They don't have any other professional city staff. So who's supposed to do this work? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that I really enjoy about working with small towns is how do we build the capacity in every small town is strapped for everything. They're strapped for cash, they're strapped for people, they're strapped for resources to do most everything. But what I like about small towns is there is kind of a, it sounds cliched, but roll up your sleeves and get it done kind of attitude. And all they need sometimes is the right tools. And a lot of the tools are free or they're out there, easily accessible. We just have to sit alongside people and, and really them help them. Here they are, and I'm here to help you, but I can't write the grant for you. I don't live here. I can't, you know, I can't go and lobby at the legislature to do that kind of stuff because I'm not you. I don't live in your small town, but I can help. So I think that's the role that our community foundation has played is how do we build capacity and develop some of the leadership and skills among local residents who have the ambition and they got the smarts and they got the skills, but they might not have been in that position of formal leadership before. What can I help you with? Like, how can I help you build that capacity for yourself? So I think that's um, that's something that I've always enjoyed about working with my heart and soul towns. Hey there, small business owner. I know that you wear all the hats in your business, whether you are running a service-based business or a product-based business or a nonprofit. You have to manage people. You have to respond to customer messages. You have to balance your time. You have to be looking ahead and casting goals and vision. And with all that comes with that, sometimes the social media marketing can get left in the dust in priority of other things. I don't disagree for a minute that as a small business owner, you have to prioritize. But in the coming weeks at Molly Knuth Media, we're going to help you prioritize social media marketing so that you have ideas and content that help you be consistent on the social media platforms of your choice. If you are interested, head over to Molly Knuth Media on Instagram and Facebook or at mollyknuthmedia.com for more information on the accountability group that we have beginning in just a couple of weeks. We ran this program in December and the growth and the lessons that the women small business owners learned inside that group were just so impactful. And the relationships that were formed that they were able to take with them beyond the program have just proven invaluable. If you're interested in something like this, head to at Molly Knuth Media on Facebook and Instagram or our website, mollyknuthmedia.com for more information. This is a great segue into Heart and Soul Talk. So there are a lot of small town communities out there, and you touched on it, where they're maybe under-resourced or maybe they don't have a ton of people volunteering. Maybe it's the same people all the Mm -hmm. time. So maybe when we have discussions in these towns of what needs to get done and what we should tackle next and how should we go about that, we get Mm -hmm. a lot of the same people at the table, a lot of the same ideas. And the whole heart and soul process, which is a framework that is a nationwide framework, but you can take it and help small towns implement this framework. The whole intention of that is to hear from all the voices in the community, from all areas, from all backgrounds, from all demographics and get every voice 
heard and get every idea to the table to benefit the community. So Jason, can you talk a little bit about how did you get in touch with the Community Heart and Soul Mm -hmm. framework and start implementing that in Iowa communities? Well, the, the Community Heart and Soul organization is nationwide. So they've got dozens of communities all over the country who have used Heart and Soul to build capacity in rural towns from you know, the West Coast through the Midwest all the way out to Maine. There's Heart and Soul towns sprinkled throughout the country. So it's a really interesting model that's been evaluated and tested in all different kinds of towns. And we've learned a lot over those years on how to refine the process and what tools work and what ones are challenging and kind of the recipe for success in some of the small towns. And it's a good fit for the Community Foundation because the three big principles of Heart and Soul uh, kind of meshed well with our overall mission at our foundation. The first big principle, like you mentioned, is involve everyone. Like we really believe that the best solutions come about when everybody gets a chance to participate and Mm -hmm. see themselves in that eventual solution. And I think we saw that happen in Cascade where once we kind of came up with our heart and soul statements, we really wanted them to look like something that everybody in the town could look at those and go, that's me. Mm -hmm. Like that sounds like Cascade to me. And But you only get that if you talk to everybody Mm -hmm. and really get lots of different opinions and ideas and thoughts about what matters most to the folks in that community. So involve everyone is the first principle. Focus on what matters most is our second principle. And I think that's a really good guiding principle for philanthropy too, is it's easy to get distracted by that bright, shiny object that's being dangled or the squeaky wheel person who really, we ought to be funding this and we ought to be funding that. But is that really going to make a difference in our community? Like what what matters most to the folks who live here and how can we strengthen that? Mm-hmm. And the fact that Heart and Soul is what we call an asset-based program is also something that I like about it. And I think it's a good fit for our foundation because rather it's an asset-based community development process, which means that we're not focusing on deficits. We're not Mm -hmm. focusing on what's broken or what needs to be fixed or what's wrong with our town. We're looking at what's great about our town. What do people love about our town and how do we make that even better? Mm -hmm. So we're still taking action. We're still maybe fixing things and making things better, but we're coming at it from an asset-based approach. And I think, and we saw this happen in Cascade, Molly, when you would talk to like you know, some of the city council members and just how different they felt after a heart and soul meeting versus how different they felt after a city council meeting mm-hmm. where everybody's lined up at the podium with their long list of grievances and things that are broken and things that are screwed up. And it just brings everybody down. Like it's a negative narrative for your mm-hmm. town. Whereas after a heart and soul meeting, you walk out going, wow this place is pretty cool. We've got lots of great stuff going on here and everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. We're going to get some stuff done. Like we're actually talking about some of the same projects probably, but mm-hmm. we had, there's a whole different narrative on how it was going to get done. So focusing on what matters most helps to create that positive narrative about the future of your town. And the third big principle for heart and soul, which also is a good fit for community foundations is uh, play the long game. You know, foundations are forever organizations. Like we establish endowments that are going to pay out forever to those endowment holders. You know, that'll be a forever investment in the future of their nonprofit or their cause. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Heart and Soul has play the long game as one of their principles is a really good fit. And what I always try to impress upon the folks I work with in Heart and Soul is that Heart and Soul doesn't stop when the project is over. Like the the tools and the skills and the values and stuff that we talk about, 
should live on in your community and how you make decisions about your future. And if we've done it correctly, and if the right people were at the table, hopefully when they're trying to make a big decision, they'll go back to those same skills that we did as heart and soul and kind of say, hey, maybe we ought to actually ask people what they care about before we get too deep into this project. Hey, maybe we ought to try to involve different kinds of voices instead of those same 10 or 15 people every time. Mm -hmm. So if heart and soul works in the community, they kind of lather, rinse, repeat, right? When there's a big decision to be made in the community, go back to those principles, you know, slow down a little bit, think about what matters most, get everybody around the table and make a good decision. It's really going to strengthen your town, not just solve a short-term problem. I love all that. And what was your question? I'm sorry. No, you're good. I think that, I love this. I love talking about it. And I know Jason and I have talked about heart and soul. I don't know how many times we've gone on like different, different places, talked about it. I've had you in to like lives and we've talked about it. But every time I can just hear the passion and the commitment you have to this process and how it benefits small towns. And then I follow up with, oh yeah, there was this one time that and I've come up with the anecdote from our experience. But I do just want to say, well, there was this one time that <laughs> um, it was just recently. So the heart and soul here in Cascade, the actual process is close to wrapping up, if not mm -hmm. wrapped up already. But we did get to a point where we were around a table as part of an economic development discussion with our economic development committee. And somebody said, well, there's this grant out there. Well, we should apply for it well, then what are we going to apply for and what are we going to benefit? And then all these people around the table just started throwing ideas, which is how things get done in small towns. Sometimes people have ideas, there's a consensus around the table and it's pursued. Or I feel like that's how it used to get done around here. And then as being part of the Heart and Soul Committee, myself and there was a couple other people at mm -hmm. that table too, we were like, hey, this is just what we've worked on for the last two years. We've been interviewing community members. We've been taking surveys. We've been analyzing data. We have lists of things that are important to people, specific projects they want to be a part of, specific things they want to see improved. So why don't we go to that list instead of just pulling from the people around this economic development table? Why don't we go to that list that interviewed everybody in town and we choose something from there? And that's the power of heart and soul, because these are the things that already came from the community members, not just the people who were the leaders or the volunteers on that specific committee. These were the ideas from everyone in the town. They had been voted on. There had been surveys done around it. So you could see the support that was already there for some of these things. And then I, that's when I kind of had a light bulb. I'm like, yes, this is what Heart and Soul is about. <laughs> so that we aren't just like driving blind. We have guidance that is important to our citizens. And then therefore, we already have some natural buy-in from the community. And it'll just strengthen the assets we already have. That's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, I just, I come in with the anecdote. <laughs> no, but that's exactly right. I mean, uh, the other example, and this might even be a good um, connection for some of the folks on your, uh, who, who are listening in, who are interested in small business development in one of my other heart and soul towns, which is in Bellevue, Iowa. We did the heart and soul process there a couple of years ago, but I still um, stay in touch with some of their economic development and chamber folks. And they had a new business uh, or a new building owner in their historic district downtown who bought a storefront and said, I really want to open a business here, but I don't really know, like I'm open to ideas about what that business would be. 
Well, not only through our heart and soul process did we have ideas about businesses that the residents thought would be really good fits. We also, of course, had this list of guiding values and principles that as a business owner, if you, especially if you're not a native person, if you're not from there originally, how do you make it feel authentic, right? How do you make it feel like a part of the community? Well, if you tap into those heart and soul statements, like these ideas and values of things that people really care about, if you express those through the brand and through the feel, the, the look and feel of your business, you're going to feel like a local business. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of help that person see, here's what people here care about. Here's some ideas about businesses that they've already kind of expressed interest in. If you blend those things together, you might be able to hit the ground running better than someone who just came into the community cold. Mm-hmm. Just saying, I'm going to open up whatever, you know, some kind of boutique, fancy you know, whatever shop. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't sound like us. You know, so we can help them. And I think that's how, that's the value of using something like heart and soul as your guiding principles to really make sure that uh, people feel connected to their communities. Something that comes up all the time and it came up in Cascade and it comes up in other places too, is people, well, sometimes there's a disconnect, I guess I could say, between how welcoming and inclusive a community thinks it is Mm-hmm. and how welcoming and inclusive they actually are, mm-hmm. right? And we talked about this in Cascade quite a bit, is everybody's like, oh, we're such a nice, everybody here is so nice, and everybody's so welcoming and things. And of course, because we try to have a diverse group of people around the table, there were newcomers to town, or not even newcomers. Yeah, I, I've lived here for 10 years, and I kind of still don't feel like I'm welcome. Yep. And I'm a middle-class white person. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of a wake up call sometimes to longtime residents. Like, what do you mean? Well, you know, it's just if you're if your grandpa's grandpa didn't grow up in this town, it's really hard sometimes. And this is not unique to Cascade. It happens all kinds of places. And I think heart and soul can challenge people to really um, own up to things that they care about. Like you think you're welcoming and inclusive, then do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to actually be intentional about it and not just say that you're doing it but actually do it, especially with newcomers. And I think that caused, I know in some of our roundtables anyway, it caused for deeper discussion too mm-hmm. about like, well, what does it mean to be welcoming? Like exactly like you said, some people are like, well, we're welcoming. We'll like take you a casserole. We'll say hi to you. We'll wave to you. And then some of these people who are challenging that, who had been or still were considered a newcomer, were saying, well, yeah, that's nice. But like, who calls me on the weekends to hang out? Or like, mm-hmm. How do I know how to get in touch with the local electrician if I don't know his nickname? So mm-hmm. it was it brought up a whole host of ideas that people who had lived in the community for a long time didn't see as a problem because they didn't encounter that. And these conversations that were had around heart and soul, and this is just one example, but the conversations we were able to have and discussions mm-hmm. really led to better self-actualization, I believe, as a small town. And then how can we make this better and those conversations that stem from that? Well, just think of all the all the hidden rules that exist in small towns, things that people who grew up there knew how to do, but newcomers don't know how to do. How do I get my kids signed up for the youth baseball? Oh, you got to call Tom. Exactly. Oh, how am I supposed to know that? You know, I mean, those are the little things. And we hear from we hear from business owners sometimes who have larger, you know, larger bases of employees uh, that as the workforce tightens, they have to start recruiting further and further out to get employees to come work in their factories or their larger businesses. 
And they'll say things like, you know, so the, the potential employee is sitting down, getting ready to sign the, on the dotted line to work at this place or at this business. And they'll say things like, so, you know, I'm going to need childcare. So where do your kids go? My mom takes care of them. Mm-hmm. Or my aunt takes care of them. Well, where's my kid going to go? I don't know. Did they get a blank stare? Like those are the kinds of things that newcomers, they, they don't have an aunt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't have a neighbor who they trust yet to take care of their kids. Those kinds of things, if you don't have that kind of social infrastructure that's open and inclusive, you know, if word of mouth is how a lot of things happen in your town, it's a very exclusive thing and it's very hard to overcome. So I think that's one of the things that hopefully we'll be able to develop more in Cascade is Mm -hmm. more public resources. Like how do people get connected to important things in town without Mm -hmm. having to know a guy? Yep. And I think that's probably not unique to our small town. No, I think a lot of small towns operate in that way. But I think, especially for listeners tuning in, yeah, think about some of those ways that maybe your small town responds to a new family that moves in or a new person. Or how does word get passed? Is it through word of mouth? Is it through like, oh, shoot, you didn't see that one Facebook post from that one account, then you missed sign up. Mm-hmm. I can't be the only parent who's ever done that. <laughs> so It just has you questioning a lot of, okay, yeah, our small town has done it this way for a long time, which is like part of maybe your town's history. But are there ways that we can improve that now that we are looking at what assets we have and how we can make our community better? Well, it's also important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater either, because it's that same kind of tight knit network of connections and relationships that also is something that makes small towns special. Mm-hmm. that people like that. They value those kinds of networks. We don't have to be on the internet all the time to get something done or whatever. You can leverage your relationships to get stuff done. So in many ways, that's a good thing. So you don't want to get rid of that. But you also have to find a way to make it more inclusive uh, for people who might not happen to have grown up there. And you can do both, but it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess if you can succinctly Can you give a little overview of the heart and soul process, Mm -hmm. like kind of the phases of heart and soul, how if somebody's listening, they're like, I want to do this in my town. Like, what does that look like? Succinct, eh? (laughs) I know we could break this down in about an hour, but I'm going to cap you at five minutes, Jason. (laughs) Okay, well, I can do it in less than that. So heart and soul at its fundamental uh, in its fundamental form is a a four step process. Uh, that's so like I'm a heart and soul coach. So what I do is I work alongside the local team that has its own coordinator and its own kind of leadership team to guide them through this four step process. But it is a grassroots kind of volunteer driven process that um, does take a lot of local efforts. And I'm the one who can kind of bring in some tools and tips and guidance on how to do it correctly and make sure you get done on time and make sure everything stays on track. So the four step process is divided up in phases that really help you understand your community deeply before you start to take action. So the first phase is really um, when you start to get to know your community and actually map out who lives here. Um, It's also one of those common kind of cliches about small towns is, ah, we know everybody that lives here. What do we got to do this for? And it quickly turns into a process where I guess we don't know as much about our town as we think we do. Mm-hmm. Like how many low income folks live here? How many racial minorities live here? How many LGBTQ plus folks live here? How many veterans? Um, what's the split between youth, you know, young adults, seniors, middle age, you know, who, how, what actually is the percentage of population of folks who live here? 
how many long-term residents do we have? How many short-term residents do we have? All these kinds of things. You need to know this before you get involved with your community engagement process, or else you won't know if you've heard from everybody. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things we do is map out not only demographics, but also the social networks that connect people together. Mm -hmm. The the Rotary Clubs and the Social Clubs and the PTCs and the American Legion and all these things that bind people together. We got to map them all out. So once we do that in the first phase, then we move on to the story gathering phase. And Heart and Soul is not fundamentally a survey-based process. Um, surveys are used. You know, you send out an electronic survey or a paper survey to get people's feedback. But the most important work is usually done in person, where you sit down with someone and you interview those folks and you get to hear from them about what they care about and what's going to make this community even better. So during that second phase, it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one relationships and having small group meetings and doing interviews with all these different voices. Those stories become data. Mm -hmm. And that data is what we eventually use to construct at the end of phase two, the story gathering phase. At the end of phase two, we um, create a set of heart and soul statements, which are a distillation of the things that folks in that town care about. So in Cascade, we came up with seven, um, seven statements that talk about community and education and economic development and all different kinds of things, convenience, you know, all the different things that people really care about in that community, those kind of become your roadmap. So at the end of phase two, once you've really determined what folks care about, then you move into the prioritization phase for phase three. Because when you were uh, doing your story gathering in phase two, people were also giving you a ton of ideas, things they wanted to see happen in the town. Oh, I wish we had a movie theater. Oh, I wish we had a basketball league. And why don't we have a better canoe landing? And oh, why don't we have a trail that connects us to the next town. You get all these ideas. So by the time you get to phase three, you've got your roadmap. You've got these heart and soul statements that are your filter. Mm -hmm. So you use that filter of the heart and soul statements and you run all those ideas through your filter. And the ones that are going to strengthen the things that folks care about most, those are the ideas that get prioritized. Because sometimes when you're asking someone what's going to make your town better, a lot of folks haven't really thought about it that much. They'll say things like, oh, I don't know. How about a movie theater? Well, I guess. You know, so you write it down on the on the piece of paper. But then when it gets down to it, when push comes to shove and you've got these value statements that people really care about, okay, so is a movie theater going to improve or strengthen any of these things? Mm -hmm. Compared to a lot of the other action ideas, it's probably not. It's going to be very expensive and very hard to do, and it's not going to move the needle on any of these seven big ideas that folks really care about. Mm -hmm. So it's not something we should never do, but it's probably just not a priority. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get through phase three and you've prioritized things, you're able to see these are the action ideas that are really going to strengthen our community, that are really going to, that people can get behind. They're going to volunteer their time. They're going to donate money. They're going to do all these things to make those things happen because they know the result is going to be making their community stronger. Mm -hmm. So that's in phase three. Then by phase four is when we're really talking about stewardship. Who's going to do this stuff? How is this going to live on in our community beyond the end of our heart and soul process? So if we've done our job correctly and we've had the right people at the table all throughout the first three phases of heart and soul, we've already got the pieces in place to connect those action ideas with the people who have the resources and the time and the, you know, the skills to get those things done. Mm -hmm. And I think that happened really effectively in Cascade, just as an example, like we really had good connections with the schools and the city and some of the betterment groups and all those people who are already willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work 
and we were able to show them, here's what people really care about. Mm -hmm. So how can you allocate your resources and your time and those things to these projects and follow through on them? And luckily in Cascade, it was kind of fun because as we showed that list to the folks at city council, they were like, oh, well, we're already doing that. Well, and that's mm -hmm. in next year's budget. Well, and that's in phase two of our current trails plan. Like a lot of it was already being done, but some of the residents didn't know it. And I think I was just in a conversation last week and we were talking about with the growth that our community has been seeing on our main street area, mm -hmm. we have an issue of parking. And this had come mm -hmm. up at a community heart and soul meeting a few times. Yep. And because we had heard this at Heart and Soul and because we had presented it to city council and because city council then could tell us where it was budgeted, I was in that conversation. I was able to say, you know what? It's in the budget. <laughs> right. But it might not have been public enough for people to know that it's, you know, in small towns and I'm sure big towns too, people want to talk about the things that aren't getting done. But like That's you exactly said, as Heart right. and yep. Soul, we go from the asset base or we at least build knowledge around how we get to these betterments. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was really crucial in saying, okay, we had the conversation. We know that the city's got this budgeted in. It's going to happen. It just can't happen in the wintertime because you can't put cement down in Iowa when it's negative 20 degrees. But yeah, I love that you summarized that. And just so listeners are knowing, like this can be done in communities that are super small. This can mm -hmm. be done. And here in Cascade, we have a population of 2,500. But it's been done in larger communities like Golden, Colorado, which is, mm -hmm. I think, near to Denver. I don't know if they're a suburb, yeah. but they're pretty sizable. Mm -hmm. But you've also worked with maybe if a community was too small, but they liked this framework. You have approached this from a countywide vision, correct? Well, it's all based upon what's the goal? Like, what's the goal of Heart and Soul? Because Heart and Soul, in its fundamental form, is about building connections. It's about building people together to work towards something that they have in common and strengthening that kind of sense of togetherness. So if your goal is, you know, our county doesn't have a very good identity or we don't have good countywide structures to build, bring people together and create that sense of togetherness. If you don't have that, well, heart and soul is good for that mm -hmm. to help, um, especially if the county board of supervisors or simply or an organization like that feels like they don't have a good uh, connection or reach throughout the county, heart and soul can build those bridges. It can build those relationships across the county because if we're thinking about a, a small town, the missing voices might be low-income folks or senior citizens or new residents to town. Those folks might be having trouble getting their voice heard. In a county, it might be entire towns mm -hmm. or townships or rural communities. You know, in some of the counties where we've done this work, We'll have a heart and soul meeting in one of the towns and maybe we'll bring along a board of supervisors, one of the supervisors or a county employee. There'll be people at those small town meetings that'll say, this is the first time that anybody from the county has ever had a meeting in our little town out in the, you know, far corners of mm -hmm. this county. Thank you for coming here. So even at the county level, there are missing voices that might include whole townships or whatever. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of relationships that we can build at the county level. Or, you know, within the city boundaries or municipal boundaries, we can find those missing voices, too. I love that. What are some of the, like, if you think about what are some of the things or the highlights from your work in these small towns with heart and soul? What are some of the highlights that really stick out as like, oh, we went through this process and now this community has this mm -hmm. to show for it? 
Well, I think um, we've had great success. A lot of our communities have done really well, like uh, leveraging their heart and soul research and data into grant writing. Because mm-hmm. by the time you get through with heart and soul, you've got a lot of really great data about what folks in your community care about, what kinds of needs there are in the community, what kinds of assets there are to leverage and build upon, uh, getting letters of support and all that kind of stuff sometimes is a little bit easier after you've done heart and soul. Um, so I think that's one of the outcomes that I think is most visible is the way that they're able to leverage their heart and soul work to do bigger and better things. Uh, I think we've always seen uh, very tangible outcomes too. Um, things that, especially projects that might have been on the back burner or just not a priority. And so the, the city was thinking about them. They knew they were out there. But after heart and soul, they kind of kick it into high gear. Like, oh, well, maybe we should st- kind of focus on that. You know, the trails in Monticello uh, were a really good example. Um, in Monticello, their school bond had failed That's several the one times. That kind of stuck out to me, too. And then they kind of did, they did heart and soul, and everybody kind of realized how important it was for the future of their community. And that there were reasons to support the middle school beyond just the fact that I don't have middle school kids. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's actually a bigger deal for our community than just my own, uh, you know, personal interest in it. So after Heart and Soul, their bond issue passed because people saw the project a little bit different through a different lens mm-hmm. of community betterment, not just, oh, what do they need a new school for? You know, the old middle school is good enough for me. Yeah. Well, well, it's not 1963 anymore. You know, we have to think differently about the future of our small town. There's been some really great um, outdoor recreation outcomes in places like Bellevue, uh, where they really focused on uh, some issues of uh, doing facade remediation programs, and they're doing a new plan for one of the city parks that's kind of that kind of sprung out of their heart and soul work. Uh, riverfront improvements in Bellevue, um, in Madison County, they've got some. Uh, they're doing some really interesting work with the County Board of Supervisors on their comprehensive plan for the county, based upon their heart and soul work. Um, in Mercer County, Illinois, they started a whole new nonprofit called Mercer cool. County Better Together based around their heart and soul process. So lots of really positive things. Yeah. And and good stuff yet to come in Cascade, of course. I think we're just at the front edge of all the great stuff that's going to come out of your heart and soul work. I think so, too. We've seen. Well, and this kind of ties in the next point that I was going to make a couple. I can't remember how far in a couple years in uh, Cascade was really honored to be able to welcome, um, I can't remember what his name is, David. Oh, David Lucky. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who was from the actual foundation, like the national foundation. So mm-hmm. he came to visit Cascade. And I will never forget one of the things he said that day around the table at the coffee house was, you know, there's a lot of things about heart and soul that are intangible in communities. Like, yeah, we have this tangible mm-hmm. data and like all the things that you just shared that were like results of gathering this data and these stories. But what David said, too, was like, we just notice in these towns that there is all of this other intangible stuff that happens. It just creates this buzz and it really lights a fire and it gets people excited about where they live. And then all these offshoots seem to spring up and it just brings up the whole town. And we can't tie it directly back to what we did at Heart and Soul, Mm -hmm. but it can't be coincidence when it happens in all of these communities around the same time. Well, and one of the things, too, and, and again, to David's point, it's a little less tangible. It's a little hard to connect, you know, like a, make an A to B direct connection. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the people who are around the table for heart and soul, they're not your typical community leader people. It's not like the city clerk and the city manager and the chamber director. Like a lot of times it's different people. And I think mm-hmm. 
in most of the towns, it's like, oh, there's a pastor and oh, there's a high school teacher. And oh, there's just people who you normally don't see doing community development work. And I think what we've seen over time in heart and soul processes is those people who didn't see themselves as community leaders kind of find their voice a little bit and they realize that their hard work and their commitment to the future of their town can make a difference. And we start to see those people move into more formal leadership roles. Maybe they take a different job with the city or in a community capacity or take on the leadership of a nonprofit or one of those local community groups in a way that they hadn't done before. Maybe they run for school board or they run for city council because they realize that this is important. And I do have the skills and the knowledge about my community to make a difference. So that's been a pretty proven outcome in most heart and soul communities is the development of new leaders, emerging leaders coming out of the process as is a pretty consistent outcome. And that's been pretty gratifying to see in some of our small towns to see people step up and use heart and soul as a platform to bigger and better things. I love that. We're getting short on time, Jason. So I had a few more questions, but I think I'm going to start wrapping this up. But before I get into just like our small talk fun round that we always have at the end of this podcast, can you tell everybody um, where they can find more information about you or about Heart and Soul? And then we will get into the quick small talk round. Well, the easiest way to find information about what we've been doing in Eastern Iowa is the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque's website www.dvqfoundation.org. Under the initiatives tab, there's a community heart and soul page that lists all the towns that we've worked in. There's a video that kind of shows some of the impact that we've had among community leaders. My contact information is there. That's probably the easiest way for folks to get in touch. Awesome. Okay. So now that we entered the small talk round, this is just like I just like to get to know the people that I'm talking to a little bit more. So this has pretty much nothing to do with work and more about you personally. It's just meant to be fun stuff. So don't take it too seriously. Just answer with some of your first initial impulses. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jason, what's your go-to snack? Mm. Oh, probably peanuts. Oh, yeah. Good one. Um, What is your favorite small town event or activity to attend in non-COVID times? Oh, I like a good street dance. Ooh, those are good. Do you have like, like a outdoor local... concert, street dances? Is there a local band that you're kind of a groupie of or not? No, not really. I've, <laughs> I've got young kids, Molly. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, um, what was the first job that you had? Well, I'm a farm kid, so whipping hay bales up onto a wagon when I was a young kid is probably the first job, but first like outside off the farm job was. I delivered pizzas for Domino's. Oh, awesome. In Dubuque. I didn't know that about you. I know you're part of the historical, is it the historical society or the historical preservation in Dubuque? The Dubuque County Historic Preservation Commission. I knew I was going to get that title wrong. I should have written it down. <laughs> um, but as part of your work with that organization, I know you guys do a lot of like touring buildings and mm -hmm. like looking into some of the historic architecture around the area. Is there one place that sticks out in your mind that you were like, this was the coolest building that I got the chance to look at? Well, I think the coolest architectural site in Dubuque or in the, in the region, even I would say, is Eagle Point Park. Oh, okay. I was like secretly hoping you were going to talk about that brewery. That's like um, the Dubuque, the one oh, in the, up north, in the end. north End. Okay. But sorry, go into Eagle Point Park. <laughs> 
I'll say whatever you want me to say, Molly. But <laughs> I shouldn't try to taint your answers with my opinions. <laughs> uh, just Eagle Point Park in Dubuque. Um, it's pretty well known, but I still think it's kind of underappreciated in many ways for its importance, not just in uh, Dubuque's history, but really in Midwestern architecture. Uh, Alfred Caldwell, who's a really well-known landscape architect, designed it. He's from Chicago, and he worked for the Dubuque Park District for several years. And it was under his leadership that they started that project. And um, it's pretty well known throughout the entire Midwest for the, the fame of its architect, but also the, the beauty of it, the location looking right out over the Mississippi and things. So uh, that's probably my favorite site in, in this region. I like that. Okay, that's all the questions that I had. So thank you very much, Jason, for your time and your insight and all the hard work you're doing to benefit and grow small town rural communities. We just really appreciate having you here today and being able to talk to you. No, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. And hopefully the folks who are listening to your podcast know how much volunteer work and hard work you do on behalf of your community, too. I don't want to undersell that. You're uh, quite the quite the dynamo. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, Jason, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Molly. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one, take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. <laughs>